Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 89 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Joining us tonight once again is no one. No, 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 no. Our second monthly scheduled Andy versus Mitch episode. Yeah, and uh, this time, Mitch, it was your turn. Last time, of course, I picked the visitor. You've gone for something totally different. Yes, you picked the visitor, which people generally liked. <laughs> And I've gone in a completely different direction. Uh, I headed back to 2014. Right. With Eli Roth's remake of the 1977 film Death Game. Sure. Released here under the title Knock Knock. And uh, released in Taiwan under the title When Babes Come Knocking. A better title. I agree. (laughs) The film might have done better if it was called When Babes Come Knocking. It's like a kind of like a very, very bad like smoky thriller title. Yeah. And the film itself is kind of a smoky thriller in a way. I suppose it is in a sense kind of harks back to the glory days of erotic thrillers such as Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction, Sliver. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I really want to know here, Mitch. Mm -hmm. There's one thing on my mind. Yeah. Why the fuck have you picked this film? I don't know if I ever would have naturally gravitated towards it or picked it from my own mind until I made a comment about it a couple of weeks ago in a minisode. (laughs) And you were like, oh, I hated that film. And I was like, oh, I quite remember liking it. Yeah, you're like, well, oh, is that going to be the next one you pick? And it was like, instantly, when you said that, in my head, it was like, yes. But I think the context in which we talked about Knock Knock on the Minnesota a couple of weeks ago was that you said it was one of, if not the film that had the most walkouts in the cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, <laughs> I, so I, saw, I did see this in the cinema. I saw it when it came out. And I saw it in the cinema in Aberdeen. I remember this very well. I went with my friend Mariel. There was about maybe 20 or 25 people in the theatre and more than half of them had walked out by the end. Wonderful. And I would say more than half of them had given up the ghost by about halfway through. Leaving before the end of this, you missed some absolute gold comedy moments. Oh, incredible. And I think that, you know how it's really satisfying to have a controversial opinion that everyone hates, but it's fun because you genuinely believe it and you're not just bamming people up? Sure. (laughs) I think that Knock Knock is Eli Roth's best film. Right, just putting it out there. Yeah, and I think that the reason for that is that this is a patently very, very silly film. This is, like, like by most standards, this is not a good film. But it is a film that I think is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But I feel like also, what Eli Roth, and I've talked about this so many times, gets wrong so often, is that he can't balance tone, but he's also obsessed with making, like, toilet humor jokes. Yeah. So he tries to make out-and-out horror movies, but every time he tries to do that, it doesn't flow organically. It doesn't land like jokes woven into the dialogue and things like Get Out or Us or something like that. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's a very puerile approach to horror filmmaking that Eli Roth has, which I'm not totally against, but it's kind of wrapped up in this sheen, like you say, this kind of sheen of seriousness. All it does is kind of wind up creating a jarring tone that leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I think that he gets that wrong a lot. I think that the most egregious one of those, I think, is probably The Green Inferno. Or I would say Hostel 1. Yeah, uh-huh. I think that, yeah, he never gets that right. And because this film doesn't ever really concern itself with being that serious, mm-hmm. it doesn't have that problem. I'm not necessarily saying that by removing the obstacle that he frequently gets wrong, this is a better film. <laughs> also don't agree with you. I've got to say now, before we get too far into this, I don't agree that he tried to make a film that was outwardly more silly to avoid exactly that pitfall that you've just mentioned. Well, I mean, he, he doesn't think that he balances tone badly, even though he does. <laughs> sure. Some quick figures before we go ahead. Oh, just do. Two million dollars. Sounds about right. Yep. Box office, 6.3. Not bad. Surprised there wasn't a knock-knock two, knock harder. <laughs> knock knock two shout through the letterbox if you don't get an answer <laughs> knock knock two your parcel's left in a safe space <laughs> right Mitch yes you might know what's coming <laughs> I was going to say move on because I'll just sit and do this all night yeah sure sure you might know what's coming here uh, yes I believe that I'm going to have to do something for the benefit of people who are listening to this episode without having watched yeah knock, knock. you are face to face with the master of time oh my goodness yeah, once again yeah. I have 30 seconds on the clock and it is up to you sir to give us your best 30 second synopsis of Eli Roth's magnum opus in your opinion knock knock that's me are you ready absolutely okay three 
two, one, go. Keanu Reeves plays architect and family man Evan Weber. His wife and children leave for the weekend. He's left on his own to do an architect, do architect stuff. Sure. Um, at some point during the evening, his house is set upon by two young women who come in under kind of false pretenses that they need help and things. Obviously, it gets much more sour. They have much more evil intent on their minds. They have sex with him and then blackmail him, and it gets increasingly unpleasant, and they basically trash his house and ruin his life. Done with three seconds left. Yeah, I think, and I think that that's you know, I think that I think that that's the key, the key points. I mean, we can we can talk about free pizza and other things as we, yeah. As we go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, and you did mention the two girls that come knocking, the titular uh, babes that come knocking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the, the titular babes who do the titular knocking. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I think we should just dive into this. Yeah, and I think that this film sets out its style in a really weird way. We've talked already at length about the fact that this is an extremely trashy film, mm-hmm. but I think that the opening of this kind of tries to pitch it as being quite highbrow and quite grandiose. You have these um, long establishing shot of the Hollywood sign. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, Although this is filmed in that weird period when Eli Roth was making films in Chile. Yeah, I can't think what put that idea in his head. <laughs> um, and then we kind of pan into a suburb and then into a street and then into a house. Well, this is going on, we have this kind of the first taste of what is a consistently preposterous score. <laughs> yeah, the score's terrible. Like, it's obviously trying to sell itself as kind of a high-class thriller at this point. But I think that it misses the mark in a really nice way because just you're like, I think that it accidentally sells you on what the film accidentally gives you. Right. I think that the, the score, to me, is reminiscent of that sad, lonely piano that The Room has as a, the kind of main score. The uh, similarities do not end there. But yes, no, I, like, I do agree. I do agree. I think I think that that's actually a really good comparator point. The opening is a little bit reminiscent with the Hollywood sign replacing the Golden Gate Bridge. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, Keanu. I'm going to try and not call him Keanu. Evan. Right, yeah. Uh, is in bed with his wife, Karen. I think that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah I just have Evan's wife written in my notes. To be fair, she's in it so little. I don't know the kids' names. Yeah, um, and, and on the subject, we do meet his kids very briefly. Uh, terrible actors. I'm not convinced English is their first language. Perhaps not. Unceremonious cock blockers as well. <laughs> Take it from me, children are caught blockers. Um, yeah, Evan is about to get on with his wife, it seems, because uh-huh. it is Father's Day, and apparently that's what happens on Father's Day, question mark. Or maybe they just have loads of sex, to be fair. Um, sure. and... Well, no, they don't have loads of sex, because he complains quite loudly about the fact that it's been three weeks. Oh my god. I, uh... What a life, eh? Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, if only I could say that... Uh... That sounds shite. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it is referenced as well at this point that he's got shoulder injury. He does, yeah, yeah. He's picked up a shoulder injury. Check of shoulder injury. We'll get back to that in a sec. Does that, did they actually explain how it happened? It does briefly. We'll get to that. I, I get the feeling it was something to do with skateboarding or something because this is a man who refuses to grow gracefully. Yeah, we'll get to that as well. <laughs> but uh, the kids come in and uh, they give him his Father's Day gifts, including a cake. Right, I think that we may as well now talk about Keanu Reeves as a casting choice in this film. Right, yeah. Fairly unusual that he's cast as this kind of straight-laced family man. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't think he pulls it off entirely. That's a way of putting it, yes. Yeah, I, I kind of get the impression that Keanu Reeves' name came up as a we can get Keanu Reeves. And Eli Roth said, well, if you can get Keanu Reeves, of get course him. you're going to get Keanu Reeves. I think that this this performance runs the gamut for me. Right. Because I think that when he's doing kind of like, when you see him like bantering with his kids and his wife and doing the whole monster smash thing. Oh, I hate it. But you just don't believe a minute of it either. I am going to, as we proceed, make fun of this quite a lot. Because <laughs> it, it it's, it's, it's very, very silly, but it's one of those films that just catches a bit of buckshot in my heart for some reason. Sure. And I love it. I've seen it a bunch of times. So, yeah, when you see him doing that, that kind of like the husband and father stuff, yeah. um, I think it's like very unnatural. <laughs> and that's about as much as I would say. Later, when uh, the two girls arrive and he kind of has to do this kind of like macho douchebag thing, mm-hmm. I think that he's pretty good there. And later on, he just he gets increasingly Nicolas Cage and the Wicker Man as the film goes on. Oh, that's another great comparison. Yeah, I would say that that's quite close. Like, like very flaily as we go on which I'm a big fan of also as they're getting ready to go because we do understand at this point that Keanu's wife and Keanu's children are leaving for the weekend they're off to the beach they're going to the beach yep and even though it's Father's Day Evan's got to stay behind he is going to be working on some architecture doing some architecting yeah it's a tight deadline so it would appear yeah at this point we are also visited by Lewis yeah yeah now what is Lewis is he an, is he an agent Lewis I feel like Karen uh, Evan's wife is a sculptor and I think that he is like her PA. 
Right, okay. She seems relatively successful. She's got an upcoming... Uh, Exhibition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's just taking delivery of some lovely brochures. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so Lewis comes in and they kind of all start bantering and again in this way that feels really false. Um, We're also intro- introduced to Monkey, the French bulldog here. Yes. Now, when you first saw this, did you think that dog's a fucking goner? I wrote dog, arrow, goner, question mark? <laughs> I wonder if this is one of Eli Roth's own French Bulldogs, because I think he's got a couple. Oh, perhaps then. Yeah, 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 maybe. So I think that a lot of this stuff is funny. We understand that they're going away. They're leaving Evan behind to uh, get his work done. Sure, sure. And yeah, basically at some point, somebody's going to be there over the weekend to pick up the sculpture. (laughs) These are all the things that are seeded that we need to know for later. And that's about all we need to know for later. But no sooner have they gone than a symbolic storm arrives. I don't want to race past the fact that they do explain the shoulder injury just slightly. Right, okay. I think that Lewis possibly makes a joke about it. And then the wife says something about, oh, that's what you get if you like when you're like trying to impress pretty girls at the gym or something like that. So it sounds like he's prone to like macho displays. Maybe he's got form, past form. Perhaps, yeah. But as you say, an oncoming storm, literal and metaphorical. Yeah, he's uh, alone, he's listening to Kiss, he's drinking wine, in a room that seems to double up as his office and his child's playroom, where he keeps, in a drawer, <laughs> unhidden, uh, a rather large amount of marijuana, which he sm- his son has definitely been in about that. Quite possibly, it would explain a lot about the performance. I also think it's funny that right as they're leaving, the kid says something like, oh, remember to put up loads of pictures from your party on Instagram and it's like oh he's written Instagram because he's a cool guy (laughs) the performance of the children is very uncomfortable for me they are mercifully in it quite briefly though yeah so the family are gone when we see Keanu working the family check in with him as a reminder that they are adorable and loving and Evan deserves what's about to happen to him and what's that Mitch what's about to happen well the titular knock knock happens Sure, and I've got to say right now, I'm going to call these characters by their actor names because I refuse to call them by their given character names because they're preposterous. Okay, so I'll say them once and then we can just leave it. Sure. So Lorenza Izzo, hereafter known as Lorenza Izzo, (laughs) plays Genesis. No, she doesn't. And now Golden Globe nominated actress Anna de Armas plays Belle. I don't think any of the three are massively noteworthy in their performances. Everyone's just hysterical. I mean, there is a lot of that, yeah. This is a very shrill film. There's a lot of screaming and a lot of struggling, especially as it goes on. And yeah, I would agree. I would say that, like, nobody's doing especially good work here, and I would say, with a couple of exceptions, nobody's doing anything bad. No, it's it's perfectly middling. So yeah, they arrive at the door. uh, They are absolutely soaked. They're not wearing very much clothes. They claim to have gotten lost on the way to a party. Their yarn is immediately very suspicious, I think. I also think that it's funny that they're standing on his front step in absolute monsoon rain, soaked to the skin, and rather than him like handing her a towel, Anandarma sneezes and he just takes a tissue out of his pocket and gives it to, gives it to blow her nose. He's so, got a tissue dispenser at the door. Either way, there's like a little yeah. bit of a throwing a deck chair off the Titanic situation. Also, I, I don't know if you've ever tried to clean anything with a tissue. It just falls apart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not practical at all. You'd have bits stuck to your face. Uh, it's just, uh, you're more of a mess if you try to dry yourself with a paper tissue. I love Evan's, like, hero declaration here when they say that basically they need to come in, they need to get out of the rain, and they need to contact their friend mm-hmm. who might be on Facebook chat or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he goes, I'll get you an iPad and some towels. <laughs> His delivery, the entire course of this film, is shockingly mm, like yeah. there's a beat before every line nothing feels natural everything seems thought about before he says it yeah I, I agree I think that there's some just incredibly shaky stuff in it's here, like there's actually. a delay in Keanu but yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah, yeah. or like the entire conversation's happening over a slightly ropey Skype connection <laughs> which is something we know a lot about <laughs> my friend <laughs> also I think that a file under obvious foreshadowing he says worst case scenario I know I can take both of you very good yeah he phones them an Uber um, and he's told that it'll be 45 minutes yep 45 minutes is a lot for an Uber regardless Regardless of where you live or the conditions, I think. It doesn't take that. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if I've ever had one that says it's any more than like 12 or 15 minutes away. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, like 45 minutes, I mean, no. Like, that's not a thing that happened. And like, I think it's a very, very small detail, but I do hate it when films use real world technology and then assume that the audience knows nothing about how it functions. They do bandy around a lot of technology in this. Like, he, well, he's a very successful architect. He's always mentioning the things he has. Like, I can get you an Uber, and why don't we Instagram that? And why don't we like use Facebook chat to do this? And why mm-hmm. don't we pop on over to my iPad? <laughs> and uh, do you like my Pioneer decks? Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, right, it's absolutely all over the place, isn't it? Yeah. 
yeah. Outward facing labels and beverages all over the place. <laughs> so they ask him if they can throw their clothes in the dryer. Totally reasonable, normal request. Sure. Nothing wrong with that at all. Sure, he's incredibly hospitable, actually. I think even by this point, I'd be like, no. Nah. I'm going to have to ask you to wait on the doorstep for your Uber. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't be as accommodating as he is here. No, he's extremely charitable. And I also think that another, because I think he tries to like ride to the rescue so many times <laughs> in the first wee bit here. What I think is really funny is that, to talk about the fact that I can't remember if it's Lorenza, Izzo, or Anadaramas' phone, but one of them is wet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he's going to fix it. And I love it when he goes... Uh, you won't believe this, but if you put it in rice, it dries it out. It's like, whoa, yeah. it's like we're on Mythbusters. They, they actually say that. Yeah, they actually say something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know if that rice thing's actually worked for anybody. Or for me. Oh, really? Yep, 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 yep. Oh, well, I take it back then. Keanu's absolutely right. You were wrong to doubt him. Yeah, <laughs> I frequently have been. This is the first instance in my note where I wrote, this is uncomfortable viewing. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's very uncomfortable viewing. Yeah, but I don't think it's for the reasons that the film intended. I don't know. I think it sometimes gets it right and it sometimes gets it wrong. We can address it beat by beat. Sure. But I think that this is actually one of the most effective stretches in the film right when they're kind of like transparently i mean like you know the minute the door is open even if you didn't know what film you were watching going in when they come in and this starts happening you know something's up and he just absolutely completely obliviously does not and i think that it's hilarious and i think that the way that they are kind of like constantly giving him all these big false compliments and they're just feeding his ego and he just like takes every single one he just like gobbles them up like pac-man <laughs> and it's so funny i think I just like, but i think that i think that it's also probably the best bit of his performance because he's having to lean into this kind of like slightly douchey thing. And I think that that's the part that he's best at. Yeah. He does oblige and put their clothes in the dryer. So soon he has two attractive young ladies in his kitchen with robes on. Yeah, dancing provocatively um, with their dog. They've also found the time to dry and straighten their hair. You have indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that could explain this, the, some of the time lapse uh, for the Uber. Indeed, yeah, because it's uh, we soon find out that it's like 20 minutes away or something like that, don't we? Mm-hmm. Also, <laughs> when they start looking at his music collection and stuff, it just I remember like I audibly groaned, but I thought it was funny because I feel like it's deliberate again. When uh, he's like, oh, uh, everything's online nowadays, but I love the sound of vinyl. Like, oh, somebody wrote those lines. Well, I think that's intentional. I think he's supposed to be a douchebag. I think he's supposed to say stuff that makes him sound like an arsehole. You're not supposed to like him in this film, I don't think. Who are we supposed to like? There's the question. Because that neighbour that's there for a bit, maybe? Yeah, Lewis? I, mean, I don't particularly like Lewis either. Lewis is alright. Give Lewis a break. I've got some thoughts on Lewis which I'll address later, but okay. it was something I found quite triggered later on. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Oh, oh, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> right about this bit, they're talking about one of uh, Karen's statues or sculptures in the in the living room. And I turned to Jackie and I said, it looks like a bad dragon dildo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, you know what I mean? We do love those on the show. We do love those on the show. Uh, this show brought to you by bad dragon dildos. Use the offer code strong language. <laughs> for 50% off your first purchase. Who's the offer code? Knock, knock. Who's <laughs> the offer code when babes come knocking? I have it written down because they because it seems to take forever, but I have generic sex chat written down. Oh yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a way that Eli Roth writes, which I find always find a little bit mean-spirited. Can you give me an example in uh, this bit? It's dialogue like, so they're talking about when she was fucking somebody and uh, he was doing crunchies and it was the gayest thing ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. He throws stuff around like that willy-nilly all the time. I spotted that as well, actually. And I actually think that it's mental that considering this film's only five or six years old, it's crazy how badly stuff like that's aged. Oh, yeah. And and going back to stuff like Hostel and Cabin Fever, that, some of the dialogue, I think, is borderline unlistenable now. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. The two girls seem to be very sexually active. Uh, like, <laughs> kind of sound like I'm reading from government literature about sexual health there, but yeah. Yeah, Kate Keanu tries to defuse the blossom and sexual tension by setting the girls down and having them look through his wife's sculpture brochure. Yeah. <laughs> Never fails. I think that as they're kind of getting more touchy-feely with uh, Evan, I think that fidgety Keanu Reeves is my new favourite Keanu Reeves. I actually really like that he, li- I think he literally sits on every seat in the living room. Yeah, it is funny. And I- his attempts to escape their... I'm going to use the word groping hands because yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all over him. Yeah, I was going to say wondering, but you know what? Let's call it what it is. So he puts Chilean music on for Belle at this point. Her dancing gets increasingly sensual and then he impresses her with fairly simple beat matching. <laughs> We get some more incredibly pretentious chat about DJing and uh, mixing. Yeah, and how it, it's like being a barman. Like, how mixing beats relates to mixology and drinks. It's like mixology. Uh, and then a chat about Destiny, which also makes me cringe. Oh, God, yeah. I just kind of want to nip past that, actually. <laughs> 
However, things are about to take a turn, shall we say. Uh, they go off to get dressed. The Uber has arrived. Kami goes out, spots the car, heads back into the bathroom, and oh my god. Yeah, but can I just say at this point, right? That Uber leaves. The girls could have left here because their punishment is that Keanu Reeves is going to be charged for what is presumably an extremely expensive uber ride that has traveled 45 minutes to get them and then probably run about the same price back to wherever its next fare is going to be uh, your cancellation charge for that isn't three quid is it no it's not at all that's punishment enough <laughs> i would say but he heads to the bathroom and uh, stumbles upon quite the, the tableau quite the tableau yes <laughs> they're both naked they are both naked and they are uh, frisky frisky is a good word it's so funny how quickly it happens it's like now with easy twist arm for your convenience uh, he's like a fucking stretch armstrong absolutely <laughs> yeah um but threesome. Yeah, yeah. Does Lorenzo Wilson have a, an untasteful Playboy bunny tattoo? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you also, know what I really hate? When they're both sucking his dick and they both say Happy Father's Day to him. That's so uh, gross, uh, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> there's, like, there's, there's quite a lot of um, there's quite a lot of quite gross stuff like that in yeah, this. Yeah, that, that's particular I find really unsettling. Um, I find this stuff really horrible, but also I quite enjoy it when things get that reaction out of me. There's a few moments in this where I'm like, Ugh, get, ah, Megan, and I like it when that happens. <laughs> I like it when something gets out of his skin in that way. But yes, uh, he has sex with them. Also, something that is frequently used in films that is supposed to be sensual that I think is hilarious. Fuck montage. Kind of fuck montage, but also uh, breast pressed flat against an uh, obscure glass shower. So, so, so funny. <laughs> I laugh my ass off at that. I mean, Same trick works for arses. Who's doing what in that shower? Because they seem to just be rotating against it like... It's like, ugh, Anadarmas against the glass. Ugh, Lorenzo against the glass. Keanu's ass against the glass. That's no sex I've ever seen. Well, nobody's getting any rhythm going, are they? No, that's like a revolving door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very funny. But uh, jumping <laughs> like, right like Keanu, Keanu go for it with metronomic accuracy. <laughs> Straight out of that, though, into the aforementioned fuck montage, and there's a moment in there where Keanu's pounding away at Lorenzo Izzo and it very much looks like Belle Anadarmas is fucking him oh wow that'd be a turn of events wouldn't it I, I gotta get the impression that anything goes in this scenario yeah I would say so however Evan does wake up many hours later there's a passage of time a chronology hop yes there is a, a brief chronology hop we're in the day two of this ordeal for Evan he wakes up has many many phone notifications because he's been out of it for hours now he goes through the kitchen because he hears them kind of giggling and stuff like that. He'd be that. fucking exhausted. <laughs> Two well, young yeah. women like that, they'd ride him to death. <laughs> he's 43 in this, isn't he? This character's 43. <laughs> yeah, he's only supposed to be four years older than me. Um, he goes through the kitchen and they've like made their own breakfast. They're like having a food fight and stuff like that. See things like this. This scene, when it goes through there and they're being like really loud and like they're manhandling shit and there's mess all over the kitchen and stuff like that and they're like laughing and throwing stuff and things. This kind of thing stresses me out so much. I, I think it really works, but it's something that specifically pushes a button on mine. This actually is the scene that made me the most uncomfortable. I think it's really well done because it really, like, it really makes me, like, kind of sets my teeth on edge. Have you seen Mother? Uh huh. The Darren Aronofsky film. It's a weird film to drop into this conversation, maybe. Sure. But like, I think that I don't like where that film goes. Ultimately, I don't like Mother. I don't. Uh -huh. I don't think Mother. I do good like film. Mother. But I think that the stuff that's supposed to really get under your skin in Mother does so way less than the very small intrusions on privacy and intrusions at the personal boundaries and things that you see happen early on when the guests arrive. That stuff makes me way more uncomfortable than the bigger stuff later. And it's the same here. I think that like this is uh, obviously in terms of what is what goes on to happen relatively innocuous, but it really made me squirm. This made me think of Uncle Buck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've got a big memory of something like Uncle Buck making pancakes in a messy kitchen. Okay. Um, and it made me think of this, but the thing I just kept thinking is, why is it going to be so fucking messy? What are those like fucking eggs trickling down the walls? It's like almost that? objectively impressive that they've made that much of a mess just to do them. <laughs> Maybe it's more of a chronology hop. Maybe they've been there for three days. But um, he goes through, and yeah, this is an extremely uncomfortable sequence. He's trying to get them to leave. Um, he then gets a video call from his wife, so he goes outside to take it, narrowly avoids them cropping up in it. This is very funny. <laughs> I agree. I really like when they're like pushing their boobs and their butts against the windows, and one of them's sucking a banana. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like I I think that's just funny as well. I think I like I think that like these are the kind of points that I think in this that are deliberately played for laughs that kind of land. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Their giggliness is incredibly annoying in a way that feels designed to annoy you. And if it wasn't designed that way, then it's a lucky bonus for Eli Roth because it's incredibly annoying. They're both incredibly annoying. They are annoying, but I think that, like I say, I think that it's kind of supposed to, even though he's an unlikable character, I think it's supposed to kind of make you feel like what it would feel like if it was your house and if it was you. But I think even when things get more sinister and we're supposed to be kind of afraid of those two, I still find them more annoying than intimidating. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think that the thing that kind of saves it in that regard is that he is physically incapacitated so much of the time. The best Keanu moment 
performance in this film or when he's physically incapacitated. You're nay joking, by the way. <laughs> uh, at this point, he goes back inside and finds them defacing the sculpture. Bad start. <laughs> and uh, they also tell him at this point, and this is where, again, it takes kind of a nasty turn. And I think this might have been the first walkout uh, in the cinema when I saw it. Right. Because they don't say how young they are, but they do specify that they are underage. I've got a memory of 15. 15, okay, okay. Because they say something about 15 gets you 20. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's yeah. right. So the plan here is that they're going to blackmail him or they're going to report him for statutory rape of Anna de Armas's character specifically. Yes, who is apparently 15 and is patently not. No, no, no. <laughs> Does he ever ask for ID? No, they offer to show him some, but he doesn't actually ask him to. Which actually seems really silly, because he could have just called their bluff, like, instantly. Yeah. We have a visit from a next-door neighbour at this point, played by Colleen Camp. Yes, who was in the original... Death Game, yeah. yeah. She was um, She was one of the two... Uh, I don't know if she was Belle or Genesis. But it's also an executive <laughs> producer on this. I think everyone involved in Death Game... Uh, as an executive producer on this, which oh, right, is quite okay. nice. I quite like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keanu Reeves, Evan, mm-hmm. Evan, has a conversation with her and uh, Lorenzo Ezzo comes to the door and suggests that he's having an affair with her. The neighbour has a freak out that I think is very funny. Kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, they're friends. You know? She was like, but she was like, it's none of my business, it's your marriage and stuff. But I like that part. Yeah, could have done without it. I mean, it's it's very much a crowbarred in cameo for Colin Camp. But yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's also, also kind of similar to the scene with Lewis later on in a way. Yeah, but I guess like, you know, if you took those things out, this would come in at like 75 minutes. I'd have been fine with that because as it stands, it's like it's like 100 minutes. Uh, yeah, it's about that. Yeah, which even I would admit is too long and I'll single out where exactly I think the waste is. Okay. Later on. He at this point it kind of like it looks like he's gonna get off lightly because he threatens to call the police anyway, regardless of what they've told him, and they just ask for like a lift into town. The final straw is when they're mixing and scratching on his beloved decks and just like <laughs> fucking up all his records. Yes, that's right, that's right. I think also the scene where he's like driving them into town and he just looks so much like an impatient dad and they mm-hmm. look like two bored kids. And then it's down, he drops them off and heads back home and starts cleaning things up, tries to get the paint off the sculpture, all that kind of thing. <laughs> Gets the house pretty much back in order. More or less. I, I think, actually, can I just quickly say, I think Keanu Reeves looks great in this film. He does. I think he's looking well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But everything's back to normal, much as it was before two girls arrived. We are back to uh, weed riffs and architecture. Yeah, but what, did you notice that while he's tidying up, monkeys watching, monkeys looking on, that dog knows. He's seen things. That dog knows what went on in that house. Yeah. If that dog could talk, it would spill its guts. It would be a good ending to this film if they put the memory recognition video playback thing from that really stupid episode of Black Mirror where they put it on a hamster and they use the test money put a woman down for murder they That's should right. do that with a monkey mm-hmm. in this that was an extremely deep cut reference <laughs> yeah yeah i got it however his respite's a brief one he walks he hears a noise he walks towards the door and a cracked family photo lies on the ground which i thought was funny and he gets knocked out by lorenzo Uzo because they are back and they mean business this time this is much nastier yeah that kind of playfulness is kind of gone from earlier. Yeah, I would say it's arguable that this is the point where, as I know I said earlier on that this feels sillier than his other work, I would say that this is the point where this film tries to gear shift into something darker. And uh, yeah, he's tied to the bed when he wakes up and uh, Lorenzo Izzo is putting makeup on quite psychotically. Yeah, she's not really got the smoky eye thing down right. No, no, that's a way of putting it. She's also humming something that sounds like something off the score. Uh. Uh, to this, which makes me wonder now if Keanu Reeves' character in this is so wealthy that there's like a room in the house that we don't see that just has a piano and string ensemble in it. <laughs> I mean, he probably does okay, but the real wealth in that family is coming from his wife. He'd miss her when she leaves him. Yeah, this is very true. Yeah, but like I like the idea of them just watching on a screen and then when he looks curious, there's just a pianist that plays a quizzical chord. Or when he gets clobbered, there's just a... <laughs> <laughs> Evan tied to the bed, like say, and he says the classic rallying cry of people who are not good people. He says, I'm a good person. Yeah, and he says, uh, what is the point of this? Uh, echoing my thoughts exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he also says, I made a mistake. Haven't you ever made a mistake? At this point, now you pointed this out, Anna Darmas walks in and this is obviously trying to have kind of like a psychosexual undercurrent and it did make a lot of people very uncomfortable in the screening I was in and it did lead to, I would say, it was the scene that I would say caused the most walkouts. I don't think this bit works at all for me. Um, I feel like when I watched it six years ago and I'd seen far less films I mean don't get me wrong I still haven't seen many but like before when I'd seen almost none I was like oh my god this is all like incredibly uncomfortable kind of thing I watched it back this time and it was a little bit more unflinching Mm -hmm. I think that the notion that she is supposed to be wearing the school clothes of his daughter is very very silly because it looks like she's bought a woman's like schoolgirl outfit that you would buy for like a 90s disco yeah the Britney Spears night yeah exactly (laughs) the Britney Spears night and it's like but it it looked like the clothes that she's wearing look like they're designed to fit a woman and as a result, it's not immediately obvious that that's what's happening. 
No, no. I think that coupled with her resolutely calling him daddy. Yeah. Is uh-huh. the only thing that kind of starts to bring it to the fore. Yeah, I think that that's what makes it obvious, kind of thing. That's what, yeah, that's what kind of drives it home. There's a lot of weird stuff going on here. Some of it works, some of it doesn't, I think. <laughs> Break it down. But I think that, well, for one thing, so she starts kind of talking, she originally, like you say, she just starts calling him daddy, but then obviously this story starts to get a little bit more specific. Uh, starts talking about stepdad, plays into the classic porn subgenre of uh, it's a stepdad, so it's only kitty on incest. Sure. Hey, there's a lot of money to be made in that particular subgenre right now. Very popular search term. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, then it kind of veers, in, and I think that that part, I mean, I think that like that is designed to get under your skin and make you feel a little bit uneasy, and mm-hmm. I think it mostly works. I feel like when it kind of teeters into this notion of Belle uh, and Adarmas having this kind of abuse backstory, uh, less sold on that. Yeah, that's the, I've got a real problem with that part. It, I know it just feels nasty for the sake of nastiness again. Th- it's that it's that issue I always have with Eli Roth's films. I think that this feels both unnecessary and underdeveloped at the same time. Because I feel like you shouldn't include that if there's not a reason to include it. But if you do, then you should kind of give it the kind of airspace that it deserves. And if it's going to be something that's going to inform a character and things like that, then let it land more than it does here. Because it feels like something and it reads like something that they would want to include. They've decided yeah. they want to include, but they don't really know how. And also, like, there's this moment where Evan tries to use this abuse backstory as a as kind of leverage to get her to help him which leaves a sour taste in my mouth as well but it's then pretty much discarded like I, I think that whole thing would work better if it was just part of their manipulation because it's never really made clear if it is part of their manipulation or if it's backstory yeah it's very much played like backstory if you drop that once and never pick it up again mm. then I think that that feels like a kind of irresponsible use or something like that yeah it's a very arbitrary use of what is a pivotal character thing that never comes back yeah she just becomes this giggling animal noise making kind of harley quinn character (laughs) um they find his phone here and then they take some pictures of his dick no 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 that's not quite correct or his wife facetimes him and they're going to answer the phone sucking his cock right okay yes sorry yes that's what that is yeah and at this point another weird thing and another thing that i think prompted some walkouts because bell pretty much rapes evan here well she does and it's filmed and they talk about i think at this point uh later uploading it to social media and stuff like that but they're filming it for now uh but he gets free and socks her in the head <laughs> knocks her off him and you're right this is the point where she starts making animal noise as well so i think that when she's on top of him she starts like howling like a dog and then he smacks her in the head to get her off of him and she hits the deck and starts mewling like a kind of it's like a cat noise. it's like, like a tiny kitten <laughs> yeah it's horrible like, and, but like he hits her and, and it has no next to no impact because she's on her feet and after him in moments yeah and I mean he runs to the end the, of the lobby and Lorenzo stabs him in Chekhov's gammy shoulder yeah sure so right another walkout heavy scene here in the screening I was in okay it's the who wants to be a pedophile section it's the game show where you're not told the rules before you play Mitch yeah which seems unfair yeah yeah Um, do, do you want to play uh, no I'll pass thank you but no, like, but he's he's tied to a chair and they're kind of like they're kind of hammering this notion that he is now a statutory rape perpetrator yeah and they do this in the form of this kind of like madcap but frustratingly not that dark humored or kind of sharply written yeah it's nowhere near as clever as it thinks it is i think that it sounds like they had this one idea and then they had the idea and that was that like i don't think that it was workshopped past the idea of having like your the first three questions that came to mind and the kind of torture thing because he obviously is tied to the chair at this point and he has the he's, headphones on that he's he can kind tied of deafen to the with. chair in such an elaborate way he's tied to the chair in what looks like that kind of Japanese bondage style. Mm -hmm. That's far too elaborate. Just fucking gaffer tape him onto the chair and be done with it it's yep. just another weird thing that they've put in there well on top of that in the schoolgirl uniform it does kind of play Turn into my th- <laughs> fuck off <laughs> it plays into my theory that most of the props and costumes in this were purchased from a joke shop or a sex shop I mean possibly the two go hand in hand <laughs> it's a fascinating we peek behind the curtain there. <laughs> this is the point where I really think Keanu's really struggling with the material yeah I think that the more agitated that he has to be the more stupendously dumb this gets and I think that like his performance is hilarious and, it's like, I, and I think that like and, and I mean like, like I say, I am quite happy to admit that I think that this film probably doesn't work on the level it's intended. But it wouldn't work on any level, I don't think, if he wasn't in it. Like, I think that it would just be a quite bland home invasion film that if it wasn't for his increasingly flaily and increasingly Nicolas Cagey, Edward Malus posturing and screaming. Yeah, I, I legitimately think that this film would be forgotten if it wasn't Keanu Reeves that was in it. It's, it's like he's simultaneously this kind of like, this thing that anchors the momentum, but also the only thing that's keeping it afloat. Yeah, and he's still the most watchable thing in the film. I don't know. To recap, uh, Lewis reappears at this point. 
Well, before that, I want to just touch on their torture device that they're using against them. And uh, the, the effect that has upon them. They have them uh, strapped to the chair uh, with headphones on. And they're playing music at increasingly loud volumes. Ah, and my it's... ears, my ears, ah! That's so funny. Stop! Stop! My ears! Stop! Those are my ears! <laughs> Leave my ears alone! I'm covered in bees! <laughs> But it's it's so funny. Like their goal is to ultimately deafen them. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like you could cut in a lot of clips to this one. Yeah, yeah. I'll actually get to that. Okay. But Lewis appears at this point. Lorenza Izzo answers the door again. Spins another yarn. Instantly says that she is Evan's niece. Yes. And yeah. her and her friend are shooting a music video. Uh, Lewis just buys this at face value. Lewis, possible idiot. <laughs> He just seems like a nice guy, and I think he thinks that Keanu's a nice guy. Yeah, okay. Again, just throwing gas on the fire of my Lewis is an idiot theory. Also, they do text him from Keanu's phone to tell him that it's his niece. So coming into it, he has no reason to believe Ah, otherwise. It's been seeded. Okay. Uh, He finds the defaced sculpture that he has come to collect. Right, yeah. And absolutely flips out. The first of many hilariously drawn spunkin' dicks. I also, like, and I think that it was this scene that we talked about it when we were watching it back, but, like, in Eli Ross' writer's room, or the creative process, it's like, oh, the sculpture's defaced. What's on it? You can just imagine, like, you know, like, that question is barely finished before he's like, dicks. (laughs) Do you know what I love? Giant ejaculating dick. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. No matter where you live in the world, the hand-drawn spunkin' dick is universal. Universal language? Yep. (laughs) It's the Esperanto of graffiti. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, Lewis freaks out, immediately realises all is not what it seems. In an initial struggle, Lorenza and Anna have gotten hold of his inhaler. (laughs) Before that, when he sees the state of this, and this is the part that really triggered me, I'm an asthmatic. You are. Right, and I, I, I found myself reacting quite viscerally to this treatment of a fellow limp lunged asthmatic. Okay. But he is so shocked by the state of this sculpture, presumably worth a lot of money, that he almost has an asthma attack. Yep. Yep, he almost does. Yeah, yeah. And um, then they kind of play keep away with his inhaler, which I was like, you fucking bitches. I was incandescent. That's fair. Yeah. It's a reasonable reaction, I would say, particularly uh, given your own medical history. Sure, yes. But yeah, he does panic and ultimately falls. I must say as well, you see the part when he's panicking where he's like genuinely like jumping up and down and he's thumping his fists <laughs> or something like that. It's fucking hilarious. By the way, cutting from that, how funny that is to Keanu Reeves struggling in that chair with those pants in his mouth. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh also very funny. Yeah. So, so funny. But in the, in the middle of all this, in the middle of all this chaos, uh, Lewis, mid-asthma attack, falls, cracks his head on the big cement base of the sculpture sure. oh. and dies. Yeah, yeah. Poor one out for Lewis. And then what happens after this is fucking ridiculous because the two girls paper mash him. Yep. Hair dry him dry like some kind of mad mummy. <laughs> paint them and then pack them away in a van this is fucking stupid it's, it's like, stupid Mitch it's stupid it is stupid it is stupid I'm not it's arguing stupid. with you it's stupid what I would say is like I think that as well and we do you talk- know how long it would take to paper mash a human being there's been a passage of time and I think that one thing that I think possibly the only thing Andy it's a very good film but like, I think that possibly the only thing about this that doesn't stand up to closer scrutiny is that I think that there is general ignorance to the laws of the world Right, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking that they could have passed uh, Lewis's death off as a some kind of accident or suicide. <laughs> Started out finding like a Papi Mercedes dead guy, painted red, like, oh, you hate to see it. <laughs> it's an open shot case. Just another one of those freak accidents. <laughs> but yeah, I think that the film picks the laws that it fancies using. Right. Like the law against statutory rape and things like that. And I think that it completely ignores the wider spectrum of laws. Uh, they kind of kick that to suit the damage because there's a lot of things about the kind of like sub story that the two girls weave to try and exonerate themselves from everything that just that just won't work yeah the the physical evidence against these two girls in that house is overpowering unbelievably strong that 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 paper mache man would be covered in fingerprints hair yep you name it it's in there they've like scratched up keanu at this point i believe so you know (laughs) skin under fingernails that kind of thing right whatever they have also tried to pin the death on Keanu by sending texts back and forward between Lewis and Keanu's phone to say that Keanu was fucking Lewis's wife and Lewis was enraged and smashed up sculptures uh yes I believe that is the case again it's something that you think might be quite easily debunked by the fingerprints all over the phone and also just figuring out when a person died yeah all- <laughs> relative to the time stamped text messages in the two phones because like I said it takes a long fucking time to paper mash a human being I mean I, I, I mean I hear so I hear <laughs> what's your personal best 
I don't know, 10 minutes. Oh, fantastic. Um, right, I think that we're kind of, weirdly, we're kind of pulling in towards the sort of end of this thing at this point. We're coming to the absolutely pivotal free pizza scene. Yes, aye. They, at this point, say that they're going to kill him. He turns from the good guy into, or the kind of I'm a good person guy, into this slavering, horrific macho you fucking bitches what would you have done yeah and a rant that goes from i'm a good father to you sucked my cock what was i supposed Uh, to do yeah you were free pizza you were it it was free pizza that shows up at your door incredible speech I think. Johnny Mnemonic Levels. Sorry, an incredible speech. An incredible speech. Johnny Mnemonic Levels. Well, you made a call when we did our episode on Johnny Mnemonic. I put his entire... 76 episodes ago. Holy crap. But I put the whole rant in there. Um, Johnny's whole rant. Well, you did, did you? I might do the same with this, I think, because it deserves some airtime. Who might stop you? You're going to kill me. You're going to fucking kill me. Why? Why? Because I fucked you? You fucked me. You fucked me. You came to my house. You came to me. I got you a car. I brought you your clothes. You took a fucking bubble bath. You wanted it. You wanted it. You came out to me. What was I supposed to do? You sucked my cock. You both fucking sucked my cock. It was free pizza. Free fucking pizza. It just shows up at my fucking door. What am I supposed to do? We're flight attendants. Come on, fuck us. No one will know. Come on, fuck us. Oh, two sums, three sums. It doesn't matter. Starfish, husbands, you don't give a fuck. You'll just fuck anything. You'll just fuck anything. Well, you lied to me. I'm trying to help you. I let you in. I was a good guy. I'm a good father. And you just fucking fucked me? What? Now you're gonna kill me? You're gonna kill me? Why? Why? You just fucked me? What the fuck? Fuck! Fuck! This is fucking insane! (laughs) So that was that. (laughs) They dig a grave in the garden. A very, very deep grave. It's for a, a lying down man, which, given their plan later on, it seems like an awful waste of a further waste of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the passage of time is very unclear here because it looks like it's only been a few hours, but also it looks like they've dug a giant grave. Um, I also, I think it's funny that in the scene where they're digging the grave, they just they haven't changed clothes in anything more practical. So, Aunt Armas is doing it in a cocktail dress. Yeah. And uh, Lorenzo Izzo is doing it wearing what looks like one, presumably one of Evan's suits, but she's got, like, black trousers on and suspenders and a giant white shirt and she's got a cigarette hanging out of her mouth like a 1930s minor. She was like mid-90s Madonna. <laughs> also that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like she'd watch straight from the set of the video of like, man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> However, they reference the monster stuff from earlier on at this point as well. The, the monster stuff that Keanu did when he was playing with his kids at the start. It's alluded to the... Like, I think this is weird, right? Because okay. they have alluded to the fact that by them knowing this like monster smash stuff, mm-hmm. this heavily implies that they have been spying on him, him specifically. Yeah, they've like picked on, yeah, scoped been, him out. They've been like, yeah, he was like he was like a mark, an identified mark. Yeah, right. Fine. If that's what they've done, then fine. I still don't understand how they could have heard that conversation happening in that room, but fine. <laughs> in the same way that at the start of Citizen Kane, no one is there to hear his dying word, despite the fact it is the central mystery of the film. Yes. So this sounds targeted, but also at one point, I think when they're doing the game show. She describes him as being from 1% land, which sounds like it's this baseless target on a genetic rich person. Yeah, they have a target demographic. Yes, I. And later on, in the weakest segment of the film, the flab, the foot chase, <laughs> um, they say, oh, you can yell all you want. There's nobody here. We tried every last house. One, that neighbor is here. And two... That Uber driver's still driving that- around. <laughs> He got lost, yeah. But um, that feels weird as well. I mean, unless you were just literally scoping to make sure that there wasn't a living soul within like 50 miles of you. Do you know what I would have preferred? And I don't know how you would have made this work given that the possibility of him having a family in the house was very strong. But I would have preferred a much more, like, you know, in The Strangers. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this because you were home type deal. Uh, Yeah, I I think that these things are scarier when they are random. But, I mean, these girls... Their motive at the end is so pointless. Well, I mean, yeah. There could have been a really cool way to explore that, to make that motive really scary, because it was completely arbitrary. It just comes across as lazy and unthought out. I think we should burn through to that part, because basically all that happens at this point, really, before we get to the final scene, is that they trash the house. Yep, and they torture him and humiliate him a little bit. They give him a hilarious bull cut. Which seems to bother him way more than his house getting trashed. And while he's getting the bull cut, he's making noises like Joe Pesky at a whole lot alone. He's, ah, like, oh, he's like, I just fucking want fucking piss on you fucking... <laughs> yeah, it, it's, again, just really, really funny. They also find a gun inside a red egg. Yes. You know, that falls and smashes in the middle of the kind of trashing. There is, like I say, there's a really shit foot chase here and I don't want to talk about it. 
it's terrible. Is this when uh, Keanu's got, uh, they give him a head start to chase him and he picks his weapons of choice and one is a wise, wise choice and a knife and then the other's a hilarious saucepan that makes him look fucking stupid. Yeah, it's like that bit in Scary Movie when there's like a table with like a dagger, a grenade and a banana on it and she grabs a <laughs> banana. But yeah, when he's skulking around in the kitchen holding those two things, that is hilarious. But ultimately, yeah, the foot chase is fruitless. Fruitless, yeah. Uh, he is dumped off of a trolley. Ah, oh, see when he's trussed up to that trolley like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, that's aye. so fucking. And, funny, and, 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 and they just like and they just like just slam him straight onto the ground. Pretty neat stunt. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just, the, I just think that the end of this is sensationally funny. My notes here say I forgot about this. <laughs> yeah, so they bury him up to his neck in the soil, which is funny enough on its own, but he's gagged in that way where you can very much almost hear the particulars of what people are saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's shouting abuse at them and calling them whores or whatever else. But also, the the visual of him being buried up to his neck is fucking hilarious. It's so funny. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Why did they dig such a long grave when they were only going to sit him upright in it? <laughs> well, it's <laughs> a good point. Waste of time. So he shouts at them for a bit. I think this is very difficult to replicate. Just watch it. It's very, very funny. Yeah, it puts me in mind of uh, the bit in Creep Show where Ted Danson's buried up to his neck by mm-hmm. Leslie Nielsen. I hear that. But this is much funnier. It is. It's hilarious. Much yeah. funnier. Absolutely. No, it's, it's it's really, really, really funny. However, not as funny as what happens next. They make out like they're going to smash his head in with uh, like stone, but they fake out and slam it next to his head. Then they produce his mobile phone from their pockets. They jam it into the earth in front of him. Like, propped up so we can look at the screen. They upload the video of Anadharma's raping him earlier. Yeah. Which, apparently, all of the comments you see on Facebook all, like, just mistake that for a consensual sexual encounter. Yeah, but, no one qu- none of the comments are questioning it at no, all. But um, they upload it to his Facebook page. And uh, so he just has to sit there and look at all these disapproving comments coming in. Uh, so he, he, like, fights and fights and fights and digs a hand out of the soil. Oh, his dirty finger. His dirty finger, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, and he kind of, like, cranes it forward in this kind of, like, take my strong hand from Scary Movie 2 kind of way. <laughs> well, scary movie references I know here, I'm packing them right in aren't I scary and, movie to you is what uh, sloth from the goodies is to me yeah exactly yeah yeah just crowbarring it in every turn <laughs> but he reaches across to try and hit delete on the video and he accidentally likes it oh. and the phone tips forward out of his reach and he just looks to the sky and he's like no when that happened when I saw that in the cinema and it didn't matter by this time because I was the only guy left in there but when that happened when I saw it for the first time in the cinema it's the loudest I've ever laughed in a cinema <laughs> Like, I screamed the fucking house down when that happened. It was so funny. Possibly, I think, the only other thing that I can remember laughing that much at in the cinema, there's two. This is going to sound terrible. But in the first Ted, right. when Mark Wahlberg punches that kid in the face, <laughs> absolutely ended me. And in Django Unchained, when Tarantino has the cameo and Django shoots him when he's got the dynamite in his bag and he just blows up. I thought you were going to say when that guy gets eaten by the dogs. Oh, you go fucking hell, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the accidental like is effectively where we end here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is hilarious, I think. But they, they'll basically leave him there. Yeah, so their plan is they're, they're going to find the next guy in the hope that the next guy is going to say no to this sexy threesome with the, what are they called? The babes who knock or something? The, the babes who came knocking. <laughs> I am the babe who knocks. I am the babe who knocks. <laughs> and with that, we're basically out, apart from a stupid shot when the kids and the family come home. Yeah, we get a, and actually, I really like the kind of mirror of the opening shot as it can, as the camera kind of moves through the house. And whereas before it was all very sterile, we got to kind of see the life he was leading. We now kind of get to see the life that he's left with. Yeah, that's not a bad way of putting it. It's a perfect representation of how far we've come. Yeah, or how far <laughs> he's fallen, kind of thing. Uh, the kids come in, and the wife Karen comes in. The spunking dick graffiti is through the roof here. All over the place. Also, some of the defacements on the family photos and stuff had an incredible bad taste, but they did make me laugh. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Can I just quickly talk about, uh, do you know what I hate? I hate those cringy family photos. And they have so many of them. Like, I imagine your family have got them. What? No, we don't. No, you we... don't have any of those. Where, like, you and your sister are lying side by side with your hands under your chin, you're wearing matching sweaters. You know what it was, actually? Sheila Bain hates being photographed. Right, okay. She's a, she's a very good photographer. Right. And she likes taking photos of things, but she hates being photographed so family portraits were just not something that we did very often for that reason right okay and no one ever complained about that <laughs> no, no no that's fine but i know a few people who have those uh terrible family photos i'm not going to name them here because i know that some of them listen that okay but um, <laughs> but you know who we are and we see you yeah we see you and we see your hilariously bad photos and your silly jumpers and your painted on smiles that hide your shame we're watching you yeah <laughs>
And with that, we're out on Not Nog. Yeah. So, you go first. What can I say? Like, I think this film's trash. Yep. It's also kind of entertaining. I think so, yeah. I know what they're going for, this kind of fantasy meets nightmare type thing. Yeah. But I just don't think it works. <laughs> I, I think that if that's the kind of thing they're going for, I, I think it's terribly lost. Um, I think, like, as well, and uh, when we were watching it tonight, your wife, Jackie, made a very good point, where she was like, there's this assumption that, like, it's every guy's dream and every guy's nightmare kind of thing with the whole two women. I find the notion of that terrifying yeah it's just two more people to disappoint exactly i can't handle that kind of pressure <laughs> i'm a very fragile man yeah and if they're spending too much time on each other or yeah you know it's like am i boring you <laughs> would you prefer i'll just laugh <laughs> if anything if anything i feel like i'm slowing you that. both down and then if you see them kind of shooting each other glances and you just know you're doing stuff wrong <laughs> it's like rolling their eyes being like this fucking guy <laughs> down there for 40 minutes barely a fucking tickle <laughs> I think, like, I'm the first to admit that this film is dumb. It's incredibly dumb. Like, it's really, yeah, it's, really It's daft. annoyingly dumb. I See, that's where we splinter. Right, and I, I actually think that most of Eli Roth's films are annoyingly dumb. I do agree there. Except for The House with the Clock in Its Walls, which I found quite endearing. That is a good film. But it's a film made for children, which yes. Knock Knock most certainly is not. No, definitely not. But I think that, yeah, I think that there is enough here that makes you laugh that is intentional for it to be fun. There's enough here that makes you laugh that isn't intentional right? for it to be fun. And I think that there are moments where, and I like I say, I think that some of the content in this film and some of the themes it plays on and stuff is really questionable. <laughs> but I like the fact that it does that. And I like the fact that it goes there. And I like the fact that I, I thought it was interesting and kind of got a little bit of a kind of perverted satisfaction oh. out of the uh, walkouts right. the screening I was in. And just kind of like when something happened and you realised what was about to happen, I was like, oh, here comes some more. <laughs> I watched this on, it was like on Sky or something like that when it, kind of when it came out. When it first came on the go, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't remember rolling my eyes so hard in all my life. Like when she first appears in that schoolgirl outfit, I was like, oh. I think I, I probably considered turning it off. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's right. I'm done with this. But there's something about Eli Roth's films that keep me coming back. I keep watching them. Yeah. Uh, I've seen everything he's done. I also think that this is quite an interesting one for him to make. And obviously, since then, he's kind of he's gone and done kind of like, yeah, like, as you said, what is effectively a kid's film. Mm-hmm. Uh, House of Clock and its Walls. But, like, also, I think that this was kind of the biggest departure from horror they'd done at the time because it's not a horror film by any stretch of the imagination i would say it is i, I wouldn't i would say it's no like i would say it's considerably less gory than the stuff he's done before but that's definitely true but yeah. there's no i mean it's still very much a thriller it's a horrific subject that's i mean Put that's, yourself in evan's shoes yeah yeah it's a horror story for do him. you feel horror yes yeah yeah, yeah very much so very go. much so i mean it was for pizza so that brings the curtain down in episode 89 wow do you, do you know what that means it means like we're in shouting distance of that big one double oh one ton no one ton hundo p <laughs> how are you feeling about the stuff we've been talking about tonight get in touch with us and let us know facebook and instagram we are strong language violent scenes you can tweet us as well at strong violent pc and you can of course email strong language violent scenes at gmail.com Yep, and hop onto our website, strongviolentpod.com, and have a wee snoop around there. There's stuff on there, too. Loads of stuff, yeah, yeah. And we confirmed a cool thing this week. Yeah, we We're did. We're going to have some news for you soon. Live show coming soon. Yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for that classic announcement bonus ode. Bet you can't guess which date and time that's happening. <laughs> We are back on Monday with another mini-sode for your ears, doing yeah. our usual stuff, and assuming that we will be, the, and assuming that like, I don't get stranded somewhere in storm conditions again. Do you have any travel? I have no major travel plans. Right, no, sure. no. I think the furthest I intend to travel over the weekend is to the cinema to see Parasite. Ah, yes, very good, well done. Yes, that'd be my plan. We will be back on Monday with another mini-sode where I may have started my 90s horror side quest by that time. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, very exciting. We will be talking about what else we've been watching as well. And, of course, we'll be playing another round of Mitch's Pitches and having a look at your feedback as well as, of course, letting you know everything you need to know about next week's episode and it's going to be a fun one. <laughs> Can't wait for next week. We'll be back on Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, happy Father's Day. Oh, gross. Mingin. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.